The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. It is 70 years to the day since uh, Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay became the first humans to set foot on the summit of Mount Everest. With me, with me now, two Irishmen who have done likewise, Pat Falvey, the explorer, and Jonathan Ruan from Sligo, who climbed Everest last year. Gentlemen, you're both very welcome to the show. Pat, Pat, you might remind me, first of all, when was the first time, what year was it you first climbed well, Everest? I was there in 93, went back in 95 and summited from the north, then went out 2003, nearly died one hour from the summit, and then was back in 2004 with Claire O'Leary and reached the summit. So you have been to the summit four times, is that right? Well, I've been to the summit twice, summit once twi- from the north, but like once within an hour then, and once Someone died that I was with and had to come down to bury them. All right, okay. So you have been there four times, summit twice. And and that experience, I guess, speaks to my next question, which is, can you give us a sense of what a physical and logistical challenge it still is to climb Everest? Well, it's the highest mountain in the world. It's in a place called the Death Zone, which is over 8,000 metres. There's over 300 odd people who have given their lives back to fulfill their dream. Uh, people from all around the world um, have taken it on as a task. Sometimes, you know, people don't know what they're doing, but, be- but because it's Everest, they go and they try it. Jonathan, why then did you want to climb Everest, given the, the risk that it still entails? I suppose you get to the point where you've been climbing for a while and you believe that the risks uh, can be mitigated. So I had climbed at 5,000, at 6,000, at 7,000, at 8,000 metres. And at a certain point, Everest becomes achievable, in your mind at least. And then there is risk, but there are a lot of uh, things you can do um, to mitigate some of the risk. Of course, not all of it. And so once you kind of uh, accept that, have some knowledge about what you're doing uh, and work towards the, the mitigation, you can convince yourself that uh, it's going to be safe for you. And how, given, as you said, like, you, you get to it incrementally, very few people just, just wake up one morning having never climbed a mountain and, and announced they're going to go up Everest. So you'd gone 6,000, 7,000, 8,000. How difficult then was the task of, of climbing Everest? I mean, you asked the question there earlier on about the the physicality, uh, but also the logistics, because it really is a combination of the two. You're looking at preparing for something like this for quite a while beforehand. So, I mean, there's obviously both physically and, and, and logistics. I mean, in the end, like I suppose you're training for, you know, you could be climbing for decades but you could be training specifically for that mountain for at least six months probably a year you'll be give or take six to eight weeks in nepal in which you're physically just acclimatizing but then you climb the entire thing up and down in four or five days if you're lucky it might be seven or eight if if the weather's not uh, cooperating so yeah you know it really is a very long-term project that then all comes together hopefully at the very last minute Um, and it is physically difficult yeah and Pat, are, are there ever times when you're doing it, maybe, you know, somebody, you get news that somebody in one of the other expeditions has, has passed away, has died. You mentioned your own experience in a group that you were with, that that happened, that it, it, it gives you pause for thought or, or does that come afterwards? And while you're climbing it, you just must, you must remain focused on the goal. Well, I think you're a fool if it's the case you don't think that there's dangerous there. Um 
The other thing, I suppose, is to me, I have great respect to people that actually goes through the procedures of doing like the four, the five, the six, the 7,000 meters and prepare themselves to be self-sufficient. The problem with Everest and the reason why it's gone so dangerous is that there's so many people going there now that just see it as a tick list and they don't appreciate the dangers. Like, I think anyone that is serious about it knows if they die on Everest, they die. And it shouldn't be that their bodies would be taken off. Um, I think today, as long as Mount Everest is the highest mountain in the world, people will want to climb it. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it is a dangerous mountain. When I started, one in four would die. Now it's one in 150. So people will still die. And they should take into consideration like that they should be equipped properly both mentally, physically, and technically. So it was that was the stat in the early 90s when you climbed it, was that one in four would die? Yeah, one in four would die. Like, it was the same now as on K2. Uh, it's still one in four on K2. But because of the fact that we now know so much about Everest, like, on my first attempt on Everest, there was three of us, only on the summit. The second time, we had 15. But out of 15, four died on the way down. And how did your family react, just out of curiosity, Pat, at the time? Uh, you know, family and friends, given you were doing so. I, I agree, it still comes with peril today and and people need to be aware of it. But to, to do something that carried with it a 25% chance of death. First and foremost, any of the early explorers or anything like that, the most important thing is not the likes of us that are doing it, like that you're out doing something you want to do. Mm. But we're so... Like, I I always say, like, I have been very selfish. I have been more unfair to my family at home than I should have been. Um, I solidly believed I wanted to do it. And it's not about even climbing a mountain, the mountain itself. It's about what the mountain stands for, the metaphor for the trials and challenges of people's lives. You know, everyone that has, an, like, that does something says, yes, I've done it. It's their Everest. And, yeah, like, I suppose now that I look back on it, I was more selfish to those at home than I should have been. And when you talk about the people uh, who are who are not like Jonathan, they're not taking off the kind of the 5,000 metre summit, the 6,000, the 7,000, and getting there incrementally. I mean, you're talking about what? Adventure tourists. Is is, is that, is, well, is that a description? Adventure tourists is the highest mountain in the world. There's people like that might do, you know, like marathons, triathlons, so, like, like it's different now than what it was. One time it was the realm of people that love mountains and that they were their cathedrals, like Anatoly Bukharov, uh, where does they say it's where we go to pray. Like, remember that Everest came from the bottom of the sea and stands at the highest point and there's fossils of sea creatures on the rocks there. That's the reason why I went for the essence of what we call Chumalungma, goddess mother of our planet. And to stand on the top, like we both have done there, right, okay, it's special. You're at a place that is reverent to the people of the indigenous people that live below. Uh, but, you know, as long as it is the highest, we will get people that want tickless, people that can't even put on a pair of crampons. Like I've seen it myself, people that go out and they use the, the climatization as a training regime to be there and then mm. pay guides and Sherpas to fulfill their ambitions. And Jonathan, is that a frustration as well that you share 
when you're out there? Um, yeah, it is. Um, certainly when you're on the mountain, it is quite obvious when there are people like Pat is talking about. And that is an increasing number um, as it's become more and more available. And the technology has got better, you know, versus when Pat was doing it. Now, if you look at the gear, it's so much better. The weather forecasting is better. I mean, there are also benefits to the volume of people being up there. Um, more people do actually make it safer. If you make a mistake and there are other people around, you have a better chance of surviving. Um, but I want to emphasize as well, there are you know, a, a lot of people out there who are doing it to the best of their ability, whatever that means. So there are the commercial tourist types, but there are also elite climbers climbing Everest today. And um, climbing Everest doesn't make you the best climber in the world, but most of the best climbers in the world at, at this type of climbing will climb Everest. So um, there there was one guy this year who climbed uh, without oxygen and without any Sherpa support. But then again, uh, a friend of mine, a Hungarian climber, died over the weekend trying it at the same style. So he was going for no oxygen and um, no Sherpa support, mm. and he was probably one of the one of the best high altitude climbers in Europe. So he's like the other, like the complete opposite of a of a, um, um, you know an yeah. inexperienced climber. This is a professional climber. This is all he does for his living. He'd already climbed K two with no oxygen, no support, and he was on ever so. He you know, um, there's a whole range of people out there doing it. Most people trying to probably find where their range is um, and to try it from there. And how did it feel when you stood on the summit? Um, <laughs> well, um, I really enjoyed it um, because it had worked out well for me. Um, and there's a lot of luck for that. But, you know, also I put in the preparation. So by the time I got to the summit, I actually felt fine. Um, there was very few people there that day. It was only a handful. Some of the same day as me. And I had a lot of strength. I felt good. So I came ox off oxygen. I did a load of videos. I was probably up there for half an hour. And I felt in control of the situation. But, you know, it wouldn't have taken much for if, you know, the, the temperatures to be a little bit colder, the wind be a bit higher and it would have changed it. So given yeah. my situation, it was great. But I will say the time to enjoy it is really not when you're on the top because when you're still on the top, you're still thinking about the tasks you've got at hand and one of them is to come back down. Most of the deaths are on the way back down. So you have to stay dialed in and, um, and stay focused. Well then, Pat, I, I won't ask the exact same question of you. Instead, I'll ask, how did it feel when you got back down in the early 90s and realised you had conquered Everest? Well, it was an amazing feeling, right, because you had just been on, in a place like that was the top of the world. It had taken me many years to be able to do it. You know, it was uh, exciting. But it, 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 what, what it became really is what's next. Like, you know, you stood on top of the world, but then sooner did we come off the top of the world, like it was like, what are we going to do next? And And I think that's what it's all about. It's about, you know, everyone reaches their Everest, and then it's what's next, you know, and and I keep on asking people like that do is what's next for you. Well, listen, it's been great to chat to both of you. Uh, it's been fascinating uh, stuff. And thanks a million for taking the time. Uh, Pat Falvey, the explorer, and Jonathan Ruan from Sligo, who climbed Everest uh, last year. 70 years to the day since Hillary and Norgay first, first set foot uh, on the summit of Everest. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from 4 on News Talk.